If we are going to honor God with our finances, we must first decide to love God above anything and everything else. This is the sixth message in the series, Smart Living. The message is entitled, Manage Your Resources, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. As we continue our series together entitled, Smart Living, Smart Living, we're talking about what does the Bible mean about being smart? What is the biblical definition of smartness? When we think about being smart, we often think about someone's IQ, and obviously that's a wonderful thing to have a high IQ score, but just having a high IQ score or a lot of academic achievements in your life really doesn't make you smart. You can actually be what's called an educated fool. And none of us want to be that. We want to move beyond just the academic realm of life and having knowledge and information to to really knowing how to really live life well. And the Bible refers to this kind of smartness with another word, and that is the word wisdom. And so when we talk about smart living, we're talking about living wisely. How can you and I gain more wisdom in our life? And the Bible obviously is a book of wisdom, no question about it. All through the pages of Scripture, All 66 chapters of this wonderful book called the Bible is filled up with wisdom. But there's one particular book in the Bible that focuses primarily on wisdom, and that is the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs was written by a man by the name of Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. He was David's son. And when Solomon took over the throne following his uh, his father's administration, Solomon was quite upset in in many ways because he felt intimidated by the job before him and trying to step into his dad's footsteps and his, his capacity seemed limited compared to his father. And so he goes to God and he prays a prayer. And the prayer of Solomon was very simple. God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And God said, because you ask for wisdom, you didn't ask for riches and all kind of other things. And you've asked for the most important thing for your administration, for your life service to me. I'm going to bless you with all kind of blessings, and I will give you what you ask for. And God imparted to Solomon this great thing called wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is really a book, 31 chapters, that are primarily focused on the wisdom of, of, of Solomon. There are others that write certain Proverbs you'll find here, but all inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it's mostly given to Solomon, communicated to us in these chapters. During this series together, I've been encouraging you to get into a habit of reading through the book of Proverbs. I hope that you're doing that. If you haven't, it's a good time to start. There's a reading guide available for you at church-redeemer.org proverbs, or you can simply do what I do, and I take the day of the month because there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I will take the day of the month, and I will read the chapter that corresponds to that day of the month. Today is obviously the 29th of May, so I read this morning the 29th chapter of Proverbs. Tomorrow I will read the 30th chapter. And you, by that, by doing that kind of system and doing it consistently, you can read through the book of Proverbs at least eight to ten times every year. You're beginning to download wisdom into your life. When it comes to wisdom, as we're looking at this book together, obviously I cannot cover in this series of messages all the aspects and dimensions of wisdom, but we are looking at very unique and specific aspects of it. I want to talk this weekend and in the next weekend's following on the idea, the concept of the wisdom we need to manage the resources of our life, the wisdom that we need to manage the resources of our life. Because the way 
way we manage our life, the way we manage our resources, in large part will determine the kind of life that we experience. See, there are two basic principles when it comes to management. Managing things well. When you manage something well, that thing is generally sustained, and oftentimes it will increase. If you manage your health well, your health is better sustained. And oftentimes you actually can improve your health. If you manage your finances well, as we're going to talk about this weekend, then your, man, your finances are far more sustained and you live a more sustainable life. And oftentimes there's increase that comes by managing it well. The opposite of that is true also. What you don't manage well tends to diminish. It tends to decrease. If you don't manage your health well, you tend to have less health. And we could go through every realm of life resources. It's true. A principle, what you manage well sustains and oftentimes increases. What you don't manage well has the tendency to diminish in life. Management is extremely important, and you are, whether you realize it or not, you are a manager. You may have never thought of that in your life, but you are a manager over your life. The Bible uses another word for it. It's called a steward. You're a steward over your life. You're a manager over your life, and your life uh, management responsibilities include your relationships, it includes your time, it includes your money, it includes your health. You have to manage your energy. Can I get an amen right there? You only have a certain amount of energy, right? You have to manage your, the investment, what you're putting your life into. It's extremely important that you learn to manage life well. And today we're going to look at one aspect of that management dimension. I want to talk to you about how to manage your personal finances. Now, sometimes people say, well, a pastor's going to talk about money today. Yes, he is. This is about the only time this year that I will talk about money, but I am going to talk about it. Why? Because the Bible talks about it. Okay. You haven't read your Bible, you, you, you will not realize that the Bible talks a lot about this thing called your money and how you manage it, how you resource it in your life. How you manage every resource says a lot about your relationship with God, including how you manage your personal finances. This is clearly in the book of Proverbs. Take a look at what it says here. We're only into the third chapter of the book of Proverbs when Solomon brings up this issue. He says, honor the Lord with your, with your material resources, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now remember back in those days, it was an agrarian society, and so the way that you bartered, you bought and sold was through the crops that you were able to produce. And so obviously he's talking about your sustenance in life. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. We'll come back to that later of all your crops. Then, notice this, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I'm concerned about how you manage your finances. I want you to honor me with your wealth. Everybody say, honor the Lord. What are we, we always talk about the value of honoring God, do, do we not, in so many areas of life. But notice that this particular passage says that we're to honor God with what? With our wealth, with our financial resources, whatever they might be. Proverbs 11, verse 4, from the message paraphrase, gives us another little idea about this. A thick bankroll is no help when life falls apart. 
but a principled life that is one built on the principles of God's word can stand up to the worst. And so you want to build your life on the principles of God's word. So the question that I want to try to answer today to the best of my ability is how do we honor God with our material wealth? How do we honor God with our material possessions? We'll look at five things for these next few moments together. The first thing that we must do is to love God and people and not things. That's where it all starts. If you're going to manage or honor God well with your wealth, you have to realize that some things are truly important and valuable and other things are not so. And we're to love God and love people and not love things. That's a clear description in Scripture. That's the only way that we can truly honor God. We must have the right orientation toward money. Let me say something in the beginning here so you'll understand where I'm going with this message today. Understand that the Bible never teaches that money is evil. Money is not evil. There's nothing evil about money, okay? Not a single thing evil about money. Money does a lot of great things. Can I get an amen, okay? Money builds hospitals, and money uh, takes care of orphans, and money does all kind. Money allows churches to operate. Money does all kind of phenomenal, wonderful, philanthropic things and benevolent things. There's nothing inherently wrong with money at all. So the Bible does not teach that money is a bad thing. The Bible teaches that the love of money is a bad thing. It's when you fall in love with something that is meant to be used instead of loved, then you get into trouble with your life. And so nothing wrong with money. The issue is what orientation do you have toward it? And if you're not careful, you and I can make money or we can make things our God. We may not physically bow down to them and we may not physically give allegiance to them, but we do give our focus and we give our energy to that dimension of our life far beyond what it deserves. And this is called something I'm going to write on the board here. This is called when you and I are giving the wrong attention to things instead of God and people or money rather than God and people. Here's the disease we have. It's called this. It's an ism. What is it called? Materialism. That's what it's called. That's what materialism is defined as. So let's do a little checkup today to see if any of us are suffering from the disease of materialism. I pray that we're not, but it's always good to do a little checkup, right? So let's take, let's take a look and see. I'm going to give you some characteristics of someone who's materialistic. Here's a check. Here we go. Your happiness is tied to things. Can I ask you today, is your happiness tied to the stuff of your life? A lot of people have this mindset that I'll be happy when I have fill in the blank. And so their happiness is linked to the next thing they're going to get. Now, you probably have lived long enough to realize that stuff will never make you happy because as soon as you get one thing, it's just a matter of time before that thing is out of date and you need something else to replace that thing or it wears out. And there's an ongoing cycle that will keep you unhappy or discontented in your life. But people are materialistic when their happiness is tied to things. Another characteristic. Your self-worth is attached to things. The status symbols of life, they become very important to a materialistic person. 
I'm not going to take time to outline for you all the different status symbols, but some people get their sense of identity and their sense of worth from the things they have or the possessions or positions they have in life. And so these external symbols of success make them feel valuable and secure. And so if your external things are the things that are making you feel valuable and secure, what happens when those things go away? You lose your sense of of value and security, which is a very dangerous place to live. Here's the third characteristic of a materialistic person. You find it hard to genuinely rejoice in others' blessings. If you're materialistic, if somebody else gets more than you, it's not exactly the praise the Lord that you want to say. And you're like, you know, it's like... So if you struggle when somebody else gets blessed, well, why wasn't I blessed? They seem to always be blessed. Why does my neighbor get everything in their lives? Why do I not get stuff in my life? And so we oftentimes get focused and we we spend our time competing with other people and comparing ourselves with other people. And so because of that, we can't share the joy in somebody else's blessing. So you and I need to be able to rejoice when your neighbor is blessed. As I heard it one time said, if your neighbor is blessed, rejoice, because it means God's in the neighborhood. Amen? Okay. Amen. Okay. So you rejoice. You rejoice in the reality that, yes, there's a, God doesn't just have one pie in heaven and only certain people get a slice. No, God has a bakery in heaven. He has enough for everybody. But if you find it hard to genuinely rejoice in others' blessings, there's a little sign there that you've got an ism. It's called materialism. Here's another characteristic. You have a hard time giving. Yeah, uh uh-oh, I heard that one over there. (laughs) You knew I was going to get to this, didn't you? Okay. We're not taking up an offering this morning. Relax. You have a hard time giving. See, materialism is a getting disorder. That's what it is. It's a getting disorder. I got to get. So get all I can and can all I get. I got to get it. And giving is the very opposite of getting. Okay. And so when we're materialistic it, and we, we're called on to give, it runs against our grain. And even when we do give, if we're materialistic, we give very carefully. We give in a very measured way. And we're also, oftentimes we'll give with strings attached to it because we still want to be in control of those things in our life. And so people who are materialistic have a really hard time freely and cheerfully giving, being generous, magnanimous in their giving. The fifth thing that really is a symptom of materialism is that you risk your values, you risk your ethics or your relationships to get the things you want. You know, there are people who've compromised their values and they compromise their ethics and they compromised a relationship just to get a thing, just to get something in their life. And the very core of their being and their very moral nature was compromised because they had to have that thing. And here's the last one I'll mention for you. These are all symptoms of materialism. You regularly worry about material things. A materialistic person is preoccupied with how much they have or don't have at any point. 
whether they have enough or not. They're always concerned about that, always checking to make sure they've got enough. Now, what I'm saying to you is this, is there's a normal sense of being responsible about your, your finances, but I'm talking here about an over-preoccupation with material things to the point that it's constantly creating a dimension of anxiety and worry in your life. It's an obsessive preoccupation with stuff in your life. Let me add one more thing before we go on to our next point. You can be poverty-stricken and still be materialistic. You may be as poor as Job's turkey and still have all these characteristics in your life. Okay? So it's not a matter of how much money you have or you don't have. It's how much the money has you in your life. This is materialism, and the Bible is very clear that we're to love God and love people and not love things, amen? Very important. Let's go to the second point today. Here's your second point. If you want to honor God with your wealth, read it with me. Put God first in your finances. I'm going to give you a general principle of life. This will work in any area of your life. If you want to be blessed in any, any area of your life, just put God first in that area. Really simple. You want to be blessed in your marriage? Put God first in your marriage. If you want to be blessed in your business, put God first in your business. If you want to be blessed in your job, put God first in your job. It's not complex. Just put God first because when you put him first, you're opening the door to blessing for your life. And so you have to learn to put God first. And God has designed a system that motivates us or moves us toward putting him first in our life. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs just for a moment. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Going all the way back to the time of Abraham, we see in the scripture something that was established as a way of, of, of giving to God, and that principle is the principle called the tithe. Okay? The word tithe in the Hebrew language is translated from a Hebrew word that means the tenth portion, or 10%, we might say. All it means is the definition of the word. You can't say, I'm going to tithe 2%. That's an oxymoron. You can't say, tithe means 10%. That's what the word means, okay? And so God established this, this concept of he says to us, the tithe belongs to me. The first 10%, not the second, but the first, the first 10% of everything that I bless you with belongs to me. You can read about this. You may want to write these references down in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. Read down through verse number 12. Jesus reinforces this in the gospel, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Some people say, well, the New Testament doesn't teach, teach tithing. I would beg to differ with you. Jesus himself reinforced it in Matthew 23, verse 23. And so it's the first 10%. Why does God say, I want you to give me the first 10%. That belongs to me because he wants to get us on the pathway of giving because he knows giving is good for us. God's not interested in your money. He's not interested in my money. He's interested in your trust. He's trying to get you to trust him with your life. And so you know there's a practical trust to your life when you're giving up something from your life to the purposes of God, putting God first in your finances. 
A few weeks ago, I talked about this in my own life and how I learned this principle as a little boy. My dad gave me my first allowance. And he gave me the 10 pennies. And you know the story that I told you. It's been something that, by and large, I practiced my whole life. There may have been a few times when I was a teenager that I missed the mark on it. But by and large, I've made the decision to give God the first 10% of anything he's blessed me with. My wife and I have done this in our marriage through the years. By the way, we celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary yesterday. And so, can you believe it? Somebody put up with me for 45 years. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You guys continue to pray for her. We're going to pray that she'll be able to do it till 50, okay? So, but uh, all the 45 years of our marriage before that time, first 10%, not the second 10%, God gets his first. Okay? Why? Because I wouldn't have anything apart from God. I trust you, God. And over the years, part of what God will do in your life is He begins to challenge you to move beyond just that. That 10% is just meant to get you started. Okay? Just to get you started. It's like, okay, let's see if we can get this motor cranked up 10%. But then you learn that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You learn that God loves a cheerful giver, and you begin to realize the joy of generosity in your life. And I will tell you, there's no greater joy than to be a giver, but you've got to put God first in that finance area of your life. And I like to give people this principle. I don't have time to talk about all of this today, but I talk about living life on the 10-10-80 principle. And the 10-10-80 principle is when we talk about your finances, the first 10%, where does it go? It goes to God, to his purposes. The second 10%, where should it go? Everybody say save. Because you're going to have a rainy day sometime. The tires are going to wear out on your car. Stuff is going to happen where you're going to need some extra money. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And then live off of the 80% of your income. Now, some of you are saying, well, there's no way that I could do that right now. Well, maybe you can't right now, but work toward that goal. Make that the goal of your life, saying, I've got to get to that point. That's a good, healthy way to begin a journey onto financial responsibility in your life. Now, over time, this can increase and this can decrease as you learn how to manage your money well. But the point being, get started started by putting God first in your finance. Why? Because any area where you want to be blessed, that's where you put God first. Not second or third, but first, okay? Are you ready for the third one today? How do you honor God with your wealth? This is going to be a good one. Okay. I'm getting a little kind of shuffling around here. Okay, let's just, okay. All right. Why don't we read it together? Welcome what? Work. Welcome work. Our work habits have a lot to do with how blessed we become. That's just the truth. We have a work problem in our nation today. We have a work ethic problem in our nation today. Some of our younger generation, unfortunately, they're growing up with a lack of an understanding of the value of a work ethic. You know, this, this nation was built on work ethic. 
people who rolled up their sleeves and said, we're going to do something with our life. And God put you on this planet, not just to breathe the air, but to produce something of value with your life, to add value to the world in which you live. And you can add value in all kinds of different ways. There are many different professions that are represented and occupations that are represented in our church. And every one of them are significant and each of them are important. You add value through your work, but you're only adding value to through your work if you work well, if you are truly an efficient and effective worker in your life. Wake up every day of your life expecting to work hard and expecting God to bless your work. Every day of your life, I'm going to work to the best of my ability today, and I'm going to believe and trust that God is going to bless the work of my hands. Realize that that clock that is sitting beside your bed, it really is not an alarm clock. It's an opportunity clock. Okay. And when it sounds off in the morning, you can rise and whine, or you can rise and shine. Okay. And most of us rise and whine, oh, good Lord, it's morning again. This is terrible. I got to go to work. Or you can rise and shine. Thank you, Lord, for another day that I get to do something meaningful with my life. Thank you that there's a work that you've given me to do with my hands. Thank you that you've blessed me with some opportunities in my life. Lord, give me the energy to give the best that I can to the purposes before me today. And I'm believing that you'll bless the work of my hand today for the glory and the honor of your name. I'm here to serve of you through my work, God. Work hard. Work hard. The Bible says a lot about diligence and our labor. It's a prerequisite for blessing in your life. You can't be lazy and expect to be blessed. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. You can't sit back all day. Oh, God, send me the blessing. I'm sleeping in till one o'clock, but Lord, I know by two the the mailman's coming and there'll be a check in the mail. No, I'm telling you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Why don't you read this with me? Wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from. Wealth from what? What kind of work? I'm here to tell you work is hard. Okay. It's not always easy, but that's the way it grows over time. That's the way to experience blessing in your life. I'll tell you something else about work. Work is valuable in so many different ways. And by the way, you can work in a lot of different ways. Some of you are maybe a stay-at-home mom. That's work, okay? Some of you are homeschooling your kids. That's work, okay? Whatever your work is. I'm not here to define what your work is, but something that you're doing productively with your life, that is your work. And one of the other side benefits of working hard is it actually increases your sense of dignity and your sense of self-worth. Again, it's one of God's pathways to blessing. Now, obviously, there's balance in this. You don't work. I'm not in any way encouraging all of us to become workaholics. I don't think we have to worry too much about that in, in our culture. Uh, sometimes there's issues that people have. But just think about it this way. I often teach people this in, in some of the, uh, the classes that I do. Every person in your life, you need two things. You need a motor and a set of brakes. You never buy a car without motor or without brakes, right? You expect a car to have some motor. And you expect a car to have brakes, okay? Some people have brakes, but they don't have any motor. Always on the brake. 
Always taking a break, okay? Always time for a break. Amen? Don't look at your neighbor right now. Other people, all they have is a motor. Okay. But you don't need a motor or brakes or brakes or a motor. You need a, you need a motor that gets you up and motivated to do something with your life and the brakes that give you the opportunity to know how to stop when you need to stop and rest when you need to rest, which is valuable to our lives. But part of that motor is to work hard. I got to move on, all right? I got to go forward here. Here's our next one, number four. Can't see our time back there. There we go. Number four is live within your live within your means, okay? Now, a means means your means, okay? Wasn't that, that was really amazing, wasn't it? It's pretty amazing. It? Means what you have, okay? Your means is your means, okay? You, you've got stuff. You've got resources available to you, and your means are not the same as somebody else's means. They're different, and it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to have the same means that everybody else has. But the key is to learn how to live within your means. If you're going to live within your means, here's some things you have to do. You've got to know your means. That means you've got to stop and pay attention to how much money do I have coming in and how much money do I have going out. So I know, I know what my resource pool is. A lot of people don't even know. They're just like winging it every month. Okay. And so they don't really have a clear idea on where their expenses are or have a clear idea on what their income is. They know nothing about it. So they don't even know their means. They kind of know what their salary is, but they, don't, they spend without any sense of awareness of what that is. And by the way, your means does not include your credit card line. Okay. doesn't include that. Oh, I, have, I got $10,000 credit line on my credit card. That's part of my means. No, it's not. That's not part of your means. Okay. Your means is your income versus your expenses, okay? That's what your means are, okay? Second of all, establish a budget that reflects your means, okay? That means now that I know what my means are, I know what's coming in, I know my basic expenses. Some things are non-negotiable. You know you're going to have to pay your rent or whatever the case might be in terms of those basic bills you have every month. But you take a look at your budget. What, what's coming in and what am I obligated to in terms of going out? And so you need to have a budget. And by the way, this needs to be, I'll put it on in these terms, it needs to be on paper. I think you understand what I mean. It can be on a computer uh, spreadsheet or something where you know that it's written down. You can see clearly this is what's coming in and this is what's going out. So you have something to manage or something to reflect upon. Next thing is this. You got to find ways to create margin within your means. Okay. Now, this isn't, doesn't happen immediately. It takes some time for some of us because maybe we're in debt. We've got some obligations that we need to deal with. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But you want to find ways to get some margin in your life. If I gave you a book and the book had words from one edge of the page all the way over to the other edge of the page and I told you to read it, you know what would happen to you? You, could not, you would get stressed out trying to read that book because the book had no margins, okay? Margins give relief, okay? Margins is that extra fund you have 
that you've got tacked away somewhere for that moment that something comes up in your life where you need something extra and you didn't account for it in your budget, but it's there. And so you have relief because you have some, you have some margin. You're not spending out to the edges of your means, okay? So create some margin. Why? Because you're going to need it. And then you've got to learn to manage your margins. Just because you start having some extra around, you started creating a savings account, and you begin to get a little bit of money in that savings account, and you come around, oh, I really want this now. No, you got to manage. you gotta call, you got to do something called deferred gratification. You got it. Doesn't mean you can't buy stuff. That's the beautiful thing about having some margin. You can do stuff that you otherwise would not be able to do if you didn't have margin in your life, but you need to still manage that margin, and then you're going to realize the rewards of it. If you will do this, listen to me. Some of you are saying, Pastor, this is great, but, but you don't know my financial situation. No, I don't, but I know the principles of God's Word, okay? And I'm not telling you this is going to fix you in two weeks' time, Okay? But what I'm telling you, get on a track for your life. And I promise you, if you'll start doing the working toward the 10-10-80 principle and then move from there as God allows you to, then in five years from now, you'll be in a better position than you are today. Not next year necessarily, but what, how many would like to be in a better position financially five years from now than you are today, would you? Okay. But think long term. Don't think short term. Think long term. I'm not just trying to fix this overnight. A lot of people get upset because they want a, a God that fixes everything overnight. God, get me with your wand and send me uh, the lottery and everything would be great. No, that's not generally how God works. God works with teaching you principles and then calling you to perseverance over an extended period of time. And if you'll do this, what will happen? You will realize the rewards. You'll be in a place where you will be able to manage life well. Take a look at this verse of Scripture. I love this in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy fellow. Learn from their ways and be wise, for though they have no king to make them work, yet they labor hard all summer, gathering food for winter. That is, they manage. Even the ants know how to manage their life well, let me conclude here very quickly with the last point. I'm not going to take very long on this one uh, because, well, the wise, uh, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. We talked about that principle. Here's the last point I want to talk about today. Deal aggressively with what? With debt. Debt is, is well, let's take a look at this verse. The borrower is servant to the what? To the lender. Okay. So understand that. Okay. That when you borrow money, you become a servant to the lender of that money. Now, I'm not here to diminish the, the, all, you know, there are a variety of dimensions and reasons people get into debt, and debt can be, if it's managed appropriately, you can handle it well, but there's something called being able to service your debt well. And, various aspects of that. But here's what I want to primarily say. When it comes to consumer debt in your life, pulling out your credit card to live off of the stuff you can't really afford in your life, and it's a constant credit card life, what you do is you build up that credit balance, and then all you're doing is you're paying the minimum on it every, every month. And you know what you're doing when you do that? You're just giving money to the bank, okay? Wouldn't it be better if you had that money yourself instead of that 18, 19, what is it, 20, 21%? I don't even know what it is now, okay? 
what the percent for those credit cards are. But they're doing pretty good off of you. And don't be tricked when this credit card comes in the mail. It's, oh, Lord, you bless me. Amazing. <laughs> That's not a blessing. That's a curse, okay? Every time, the, the next time a credit card shows up in the mail, you say, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. Okay. Amen. Okay. Okay. I rebuke you. Get away from me, Satan. Okay. But see, those are the things an American culture has gotten into living beyond its means. And we live beyond our means because we use those cards to buy our way into things that we really can't afford. And so if you're in that place, I'm not condemning you. We all have been there before. Okay? It's okay. Just breathe right now. Say, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. You're there. Okay. You may be there right now. It's okay. But don't stay there. Okay. Just say, you know, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to be, I'm going to be wise. Amen. I'm going to be smart. Okay. I'm not going to be like everybody else. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to learn how to live life God's way. I'm going to be smarter than the other people. And I'm going to learn how to deal aggressively. That is, if you have some debt in your life, go after it. You'll be amazed. Ask God to help you pay your debt off. And then go after that debt. So it'll be, you'll be amazed at how God will get behind you and help you in projects like that. But make the choice to say, I no longer want to be a servant to the lender. I want to create margin in my life so that I can live the life wisely that God has called me to live. We're going to stop right there today. I hope that was helpful to you. Let's pray and ask God to let these things get in our heart. Father, we love you. Thank you that there's not a single thing in our life that your word does not cover. Lord, your word covers every aspect of our life down to the most practical details. And Lord, you give us these principles not to make us miserable, but to bring us into blessing. That's your desire, to bring us into blessing. So I pray that something that's been said today will turn things around in our lives. Lord, it would not just be a momentary, yeah, let's try that. Let it be something that really captures us with a lifestyle. And I pray that in the next two and three and four and five and ten years, that people will look back on this day and say, that was my turning point day. And they'll be in a very different place the days to come than they are right now. Thank you for grace in our lives to do that. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.